passing game. So I actually think Jonathan Taylor returning as good as he is may be a positive thing for the Titans. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I am your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content and Senior Titans Contributor here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is the Hot Read Podcast for Saturday, October the 22nd. You're probably wondering why this show is coming out on Saturday morning instead of our usual Friday morning time slot. It's because we ran into some technical difficulties about halfway through recording the show on Thursday night per the usual arrangement. Had some computer issues that we've resolved in time to record the show. I'm sitting here recording this at about 8 o'clock on Friday night. Um, So there's going to be some continuity errors in this episode. I apologize for that. I apologize for the show not getting out on time, of course. But um, if you're watching the show, which if you're listening via podcast, you can go to our Broadway Sports Media YouTube page and watch the show there. Now we have video versions of the show available, and they look great. And you want to see my beautiful face, of course. Um... You'll realize that I'm currently wearing a shirt and no hat that is going to be different a little bit later in the episode when we get to the news with JT and an interview with James Foster for our James Foster Friday segment. And then our best bet gauntlet segment. All of that's going to be the same, but all of that was recorded on Thursday night. So I'll be wearing a different shirt and I'll be wearing a hat. And also in the news segment, I went back and checked to make sure everything still applies except for, of course, the injury report. Um, which we'll we'll talk a little bit about in updated fashion here. But the bit about that in the news later on, you can ignore that. It's a day old um, and it, it doesn't apply anymore. There's new information, which is unfortunate, but we're rolling with it. It's the bye week. So come on, cut us some slack. I have a couple of things I want to talk about before we get to those other segments, though. The first of which is looking at this Colts game. Of course, the, the Titans host the Colts this Sunday at noon in Nissan Stadium, second of two games that they are playing this year, of course, both of which getting out of the way before Halloween for the second straight year. They are knocking out the Titans and Colts series very early. It's very strange that we don't get Titans-Colts games later in the year. Um, And and this, once again, is a massive, massive game in terms of the implications on what it means in the division. The AFC South doesn't necessarily um, come down to just the Titans and the Colts. The Jaguars have inserted themselves in that conversation this year, but... We've seen that these Colts are not dead quite yet. And the Titans, of course, off of a three-game win streak before their bye, now in first first place in the division, they'll retain that position if they win on Sunday. If they lose, the Colts will take over at 3-3-1. The Titans will be 3-3. I believe the Colts will take over. I'll have to check on that. They'll be tied, obviously, but the tiebreaker, I'm not positive. Uh, It should go to the Titans because they'll be 1-1 in the division while the Colts would be two, two and one. Well, that's the, okay. And thinking here in, in real time, I'm not positive what that tiebreaker would be. The point is um, the Titans need to win this game, not only for their own hopes of winning the division, but the opportunity that they have here to bury the Colts in the division. The Colts currently sit at one, two and one in the division. They got really shafted with their situation with the schedule this year, the way that they're having to play five, um, division games in their first seven games of the year. They only have one division game left after this weekend, and it's the season finale, week 18 against Houston. So 
they're getting all of that out of the way early. And because they've struggled early, as you tend to do when you have a new quarterback each and every year, like they do shocker that they have got off to a, a cold start here. They've struggled in these all important divisional games. The Titans can bury them here and leave them at one, three and one with one divisional game left to play. They have to do that. I want to talk a little bit though, about a couple of Colts star players that um, are and aren't returning this weekend and what that means. So of course, with any team, usually on paper, you'd prefer to have your stars back in each and every matchup, regardless of what it looks like. You're better players you want back. But I find this an interesting conversation because the Colts have two stars in Shaq Leonard on the defense, of course, their star linebacker, and then Jonathan Taylor, their star running back. Taylor is returning in this game, and Shaq Leonard is not returning in this game, and, and they mean different things for the Colts and the Titans for Jonathan Taylor to be returning. And this is a bit counterintuitive, but I, I want you to hear me out on this. I think Jonathan Taylor returning for the Colts may actually be a positive for the Titans. And here's my reasoning. The Titans run defense is the best element of their team right now on either side of the ball, including special teams. They are better at defending the run recently than they are at anything else. So we saw in the first Titans-Colts matchup just a couple of weeks ago how well they did shutting down the Colts' run game, shutting down Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. They held them both to under 40 total scrimmage yards, I believe. It was it was non-existent, the Colts' run game, in that matchup. And that's something that they'll be keying on again in this game. Whereas last week, when the Titans were on by, we saw the Colts play the Jaguars, and Matt Ryan dropped back to pass 59 times completing 42 passes. If the, that statistic off the top of my head is correct, I believe it is because I've been talking about it all week. He passed the ball like crazy. Now he wasn't passing it all over the yard. They were utilizing because they were missing running back one, two, and eventually three in that game. They were utilizing the quick passing game, the dump off game, the screen game to their advantage, essentially with pseudo run plays via passing the ball immediately upon snapping it, getting the ball out of Matt Ryan's hands extremely quickly. And that allowed them to uh, ultimately win the game against Jacksonville. We've seen the Titans go up against teams like this. The, the, the game that comes to mind when I think about the Titans getting burned by quick passing is the Titans facing the Steelers at home in week five or six and is six, I guess, because both teams were five and zero oh coming in. If my memory serves me in 2020 Titans Steelers, it was the year the Steelers got off to an incredible start. Both the Titans and the Steelers were one of the only uh, two of the only remaining undefeated teams in the league through five weeks. And in that game, Ben Roethlisberger, that was really the beginning of the end for him. He his swan song couple of years. He was getting the ball out incredibly quickly, and it was to the detriment of the Titans defense because this defensive front is the front runner for the Titans defense. It's what they kind of their their bread is buttered with this pass rush with their run defense with their defensive front getting theirs when you're constantly getting the ball out quickly you're forcing the secondary to do all of the work you're you are taking the pass rush and the run defense out of the game you are rendering the defensive front of your opponent not null and void but incredibly incredibly uh, less impactful um, and less important in the game. And a lot more of that responsibility then falls on the shoulders of the secondary. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Titans secondary right now is really not in any position to be shouldering the load for this team on the defense. They, they cannot 
handle even these Colts weapons, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show with James Foster, I think have kind of come into their own in, in recent weeks. And they've got a nice collection of not elite weapons in the passing game, but they've got four or five really solid weapons in the passing game. And we saw the, the Colts tight ends absolutely eat the Titans defenses lunch in the first matchup. I don't expect that to be any different in terms of their game plan. At least they're going to come in wanting to try the same thing and force the Titans to stop them in that way. The Titans need to be able to defend the run and they need their opponent to not rely so heavily on the quick passing game. So I actually think Jonathan Taylor returning as good as he is maybe a positive thing for the Titans. Now, the other player, the Colts star that I wanted to talk about that's not playing in this game, Shaq Leonard or Darius Leonard, if you if you knew him as, as that, he now goes by Shaq. He's not playing in this game. He's actually listed on the injury report with three injuries. I believe it's concussion, uh, uh, back, and nose. He broke his nose on the same play that he sustained his concussion around the midpoint of the Titans-Colts first matchup a couple weeks ago. And he's also been dealing with his back injury for a long, long time. So he's not back yet. He won't be back for this game. And I actually think it's good news for the Colts and bad news for the Titans. Now, why would it be good news for the Colts to not have their star? Well, Darius Leonard, or excuse me, Shaq Leonard, in that first Titans-Colts matchup, in the first half in particular, the Titans defense absolutely, excuse me, the Titans offense absolutely ran the ball the best they had so far in the season. They ran down the Colts' throats a good bit. Derrick Henry really looked like himself for the first time all year, and it was part of the reason they were so successful and won the game. They were running the ball really well. A big part of that was Shaq Leonard not being very good. He was at, what, 50% perhaps in that game. I believe that was actually his first return to play of the season and his only return to play of the season that first half. He was really bad, and when the replacements came in in the second half when he was no longer in the game, the Colts' run defense got a lot better, and their defense overall got better. He was just a detriment at the level that he was at. That's not to say he's a detriment of a player. He's just not healthy enough to be the Shaq Leonard that we all know. So him not being out there, I think, is a net negative for the Titans, actually, because he was so bad in that first matchup. And if he were to have returned in this game, which it looked like he might have, he practiced a good bit of this week. It would have been, I think, just as good, if not better, than the backup situation uh, for the Titans, that is. Good for the Titans, bad for the Colts. So that's just an interesting dichotomy there, and it'll be interesting to watch to see if Jonathan Taylor does anything differently in this game than he did the first, and if if Shaq Leonard's backups um, play a good game you know, against the Titans, both run defense and uh, picking up guys in the secondary. The next thing I want to talk about is uh, just a bit of a correction for what you're going to hear a little bit later in the show. When we talk about the injury report in the news segment with producer JT, we talk about, of course, the Thursday injury report, as we usually do. Um, we now have the Friday report, obviously came out earlier this afternoon, and we found out that guard Nate Davis not going to be in this game for the Titans. Later in the show, I talk about how I think he's going to be in, and, and I'd be shocked if he's not. Well, he's not, and I'm shocked. I'm very surprised that he's not going to be in there. He's had three weeks of rest at this point. It was dealing with a nagging foot injury, I believe, for a couple of weeks before the week preceding the Commanders game. He was added to the injury report midweek with a knee injury that made him questionable at the end of the week, and then ultimately he was uh, a scratch and did not play in that game. 
he then this week was put on the injury report with a foot injury, not a knee injury. And so the thinking was, well, perhaps he's just back to that nagging foot injury. The knee is all good. He's good to go. He was practicing in limited fashion this week. Well, now he's deemed out of this game. There are four guys deemed out. Joe Jones, Zach Cunningham, Nate Davis. And off the top of my head, I'm struggling to think of the fourth player, but not somebody of of much significance. Um, the, the biggest names, of course, are Cunningham and Davis not being out there. Cunningham has been out for a little bit. Here, here's my analysis on Cunningham. The reason he's not been added to IR is because if you don't know, this season, the first time since COVID changed the IR rules and allowed you to start bringing players back off of IR after four weeks, it's changed a bit. So in the, the COVID years, with that new rule, you had an infinite number of players you could bring back onto your active roster from the IR after that four-week waiting period. Well, now you can still bring players back after four weeks, but you're not allowed to bring as many players as you want back after four weeks. You're limited to, I believe, eight players all season long that you can bring back at that four-week mark. Everybody else has to stay on there for the rest of the year or abide by the old standard IR rules. So they have to be conservative with who they bring back off of IR quickly. And with a team like the Titans, who's been dealing with tremendously poor injury luck so far this year, they have to ration that because they continue to have to put guys on there and bring them back. Um, and so guys like Traylon Burks going on there, who they hope to bring back, um, Ola Daney, who they added earlier this week. These guys they expect to have back. They can't just be adding everyone willy-nilly with Cunningham, who's been out, I believe, three weeks now, at least two. I believe it's been three for him. He's got an elbow injury, and in years past, would they have added him to the IR? Yeah, I think they would have. Um, unless it was just a drastic misunderstanding of the severity of his injury. I'm imagining they had a pretty good idea of what his injury would look like. And if they could afford to put him on short-term IR, they would have, but they can't. So they just continue to have him uh, be on the active roster, taking up that active roster spot, but, but unable to play each week. So I'd imagine they probably get him back sooner than later with, with Nate Davis being out. It's a tremendous blow to this offensive line. It feels like we are now two weeks removed from the Titans playing in Washington with that offensive line situation they had of Dennis Daly, Aaron Brewer, Ben Jones, Dylan Radins, and NPF from uh, left to right. That was something we talked about for two straight weeks over the bye, being dreadful, the worst we'd seen the offensive line look since the low points they had in 2021, and them needing to just do anything, change anything, try anything, because this offensive line configuration, in particular, Dennis Daly at left tackle, could not stay the way that it is. Now, a big part of why we were expecting this offensive line to have a bounce back game in week seven was, hey, Nate Davis wasn't there in Washington. He was out. We figured it was kind of precautionary with his knee that he that he banged up during the week. He'll be back. Well, he's not back yet. He's out. And while I think they'll be getting him back very soon because he did practice this week and was was a, uh, a, a very late decision for him to not play once again in the week. They don't have him against the Colts in this very important game. They need him badly. And because they don't have him, they're almost certainly going to have to put Dylan Radins back at that guard position. Now, that's good news in the sense that we're wanting to see Dylan Radins play that guard position because we think that he, in terms of athletic profile, matches up as a guard much better than he does at tackle. 
He wasn't great in Washington. It wasn't awesome. It, it wasn't game breaking in a lot of the ways that Dennis Daly was. And that's, you know, part of the reason why it's not the end of the world for him to be filling in for Nate Davis, but it makes this line a lot weaker. And then on the left side, it limits their options. We've been talking about their options of, well, maybe you put Dylan Radens in at left tackle. Maybe you put in LaRaven Clark at left tackle. They can't play Raidens at both positions. They're going to want to put him at that guard position because I think he's their favorite replacement level guard. That means it's going to have to be either Dennis Daly and or LaRaven Clark. When I first heard the news earlier this afternoon that Davis wouldn't be playing, I initially thought, okay, well, I'm very confident they're just going to roll that same offensive line configuration back out there. and It'll be another disaster, and we'll be talking about this. Do anything to change this lineup once again this next week. But um, as the evening, the afternoon and evening has worn on, I've kind of softened on the idea that I would not be shocked if LaRaven Clark is the guy they go with at left tackle this week. They're playing the Colts, a massive divisional matchup. And then next week they play the Texans, another significant divisional matchup against a team that they are better than, but has proven to be very pesky this year. They then go on the road the following week, Sunday night football to Arrowhead. I believe I actually had that timeline messed up in past episodes. So my apologies for forgetting the Texans game in between the Colts and the Chiefs. They do play the Texans in the middle there, which is helpful. But those are three very important AFC matchups. Of course, two straight divisional matchups. Divisional games mean more than anything else. And then the biggest stage in football, Sunday night football, against one of the best teams in the league, the Chiefs, an AFC team that they would like to beat, um, of course, because that could matter at the end of the year if they do end up winning the division for playoff seeding. With this stretch that they have in front of them, they need to pick an offensive line configuration that they can roll with and try to get better with. A big part of offensive line gelling, of an offensive line working in season, is continuity. And while continuity is the biggest name of the game for offensive line mid-season improvement, it's not the only name. And I don't believe in the idea of, well, yeah, Dennis Daly stinks. Sure but let's just keep him in for continuity's sake. It'll get better. I, I don't see it with this guy. He's the 70th out of 72 ranked tackles on PFF. He's single-handedly blowing up these plays for the Titans. Plays in which, lest I need to remind you, the Titans are not an offensive team right now that can afford to have plays that are otherwise working be broken by one lineman. They can't. They don't have enough of those plays that are working to afford one guy ruining them. So they they need to he and, and he in the Washington game Daly was responsible for at least four or five plays being broken on his own accord just him single handedly he blew them up you can't afford to have that and I think it's going to continue because he's just not a good tackle we've seen him with something like in the twenties in terms of the number of starts he's had at tackle he's been in the league for a little bit he's not going to get much better. A guy like LaRaven Clark, who you have on the roster, he's been on the roster for a couple of weeks now. He's had the bye week to get accustomed to this playbook, the personnel, just settle in and get more comfortable, get the coaching staff more comfortable with him as an option. I see him as the better move here. We've seen LaRaven Clark bounce around. First of all, Clark is a guy who, from an athletic testing profile standpoint, is a tackle. He's got the physical traits and physical abilities 
to be a tackle in this league, something that I don't think Daly or Raidens truly has. They both test out a lot more like a guard. LaRaven has the speed, quickness, agility, length to play tackle in the NFL. We've seen him play tackle. We've seen him do it for a couple of years now at not a high level, but at a serviceable level. We saw in 2018 with the Eagles, his first team, he had something like, I believe, nearly a 70 uh, PFF rating at tackle. Again, not great, but like 30 points better than what Dennis Daly is putting up right now. He had a good year there. And then last season with the Colts, he was not good. He was actually quite bad at their tackle position. But again, his PFF score for the year, which he played many, many games for the Colts last year, his PFF score was still in the 60s, whereas uh, whereas Dennis Daly is currently in the mid to low 40s last time I checked. So it, it is not going to be good if he takes over. They don't have a good left tackle position to take over midseason in-house right now. They don't. It doesn't exist, and it doesn't really exist in the trade market either. But it can't be worse than what Dennis Daly is doing. It just can't. So they have to try something different. And I really do, and maybe it's wishful thinking, Ultimately, this is what I think they should do, but I also think they may do it. Roll LaRaven Clark out there. Let him play in this big game, and then let him get a couple of games under his belt with the Colts and the Texans before they go on the road into Arrowhead to play the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. It's what they should do, and it's what I think they may do. We'll have to see on Sunday. Another injury front news report here that I've got to otherwise would be in the news section of the show, but I've got to report here because it wasn't even on our radar yesterday. It's Kyle Phillips, rookie wide receiver, of course, from UCLA, a guy that we've talked a lot about on this show. I really love. I'm very high on him, but he's it's unfortunate. It stinks to see a guy with so much talent struggle to stay healthy early in his career like this, but he's struggling right now. He went on the injury report on Friday out of nowhere with a hamstring injury. He, he's just recovering from the shoulder injury that he sustained earlier in the season uh, in week one, the end of week one against the Giants. If he can't play in this game, and he's listed as questionable, by the way, so he may end up playing, but to, to what extent? You know, when a guy suffers a hamstring tweak at the end of the week and is questionable, they typically aren't playing 100% of the snaps they otherwise would have been. It's going to mean a couple of things. First of all, it's going to mean that the punt return is almost certainly going to stay Robert Woods or somebody else. Um, we want to see him back. I want to see him back on punt return. He's clearly the best returner they have. I mean, clearly. They need to get him back out there, but I don't think that they will until he's feeling good, especially with his issues so far this year, um, holding on to the ball when he's, when he's fielding those punts, that's the only glaring downside to him playing punt return. And then the Titans only have four active wide receivers on the roster right now. It is Phillips, Robert Woods, uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine and Cody Hollister. That's the whole list. Traylon Burks is on IR. Racing McMath is on IR. So if Phillips, one of the four active guys right now, which four is quite low, if you did not know that, um, if he's not playing 100% or is a, a risk to not be able to play, maybe he plays a couple of snaps and they just decided uh, he's got he's to call it a day, they can't be down to three. They have to have some more depth available to them. So I'm almost certain that we will see a Des Fitzpatrick or, yes, a Mason Kinsey call up um, in this spot from the practice squad for a game day elevation. They're going to have to have one, maybe both of those guys out there with Phillips being the question mark. It would kind of make sense for Kinsey to take that spot because Kinsey is kind of that same mold, just not nearly as talented as Phillips. 
So it wouldn't shock me to see Kinsey get his first game day elevation of the year. Um, the last thing I want to talk about and that I have written down here is just a little bit about the Titans record off of long rest. Of course, we know that the Titans have to win this game, right? They, they have to win. Um, it, let me dial that back a little bit. They don't have to. If they lose, they'll be three and three. It won't be the end of the world, but they really need to win this game. Any divisional game like this against a team like the Colts who look like the biggest opponent for you to uh, potentially win the division and, and take that title from you, you got to win. And the Colts, I think, will only get better as the year goes, so they need to capitalize on getting them twice early in the season. The numbers for them, the Titans, that is, bode very well for their chances in this game, and it all revolves around long rest. Now, we've seen the Titans under Mike Vrabel since 2018 come out of a uh, long rest, which is categorized as nine or more days, right? So that's either a bye week or that is uh, a mini bye, which is what you call the, the rest you get after you play a Thursday night football game. You get nine days to rest um, until you play on Sunday again. In those eight games they've played on long rest, they are eight and no under coach Rabel and they are eight and no by a significant margin. They have outscored opponents coming off of long rest in those eight games. 237 to 87. That's an average of 30 to 11 final score Titans win in all of those games. They they are averaging nearly 20 points more each game than their opponents. Um, that's really great. And it just proves that this coaching staff does really well when given the appropriate time to uh, evaluate their own team mid season, because of course you're doing a lot of self scouting during the regular season, during your buy, but you're also adjusting the things that you want to do and not do against your opponent. You get some extra time to look at them and, and scout ahead uh, of that game. So this team looking to once again, have a big uh, second half, well, more than second half of the season, but back end of the buy part of their season, which they have done repeatedly under coach Vrabel. They've been very good at that. So this game, they really have no excuses. They need to win. I think that they will win. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, the Titans and Colts matchup later in the show. Like I said, we have got the news with producer JT following this. And then we've got James Foster Friday. James Foster steps back in with us into the studio to talk after a week off last week about the Titans and the Colts. Talk a little bit about the Titan, or excuse me, the Colts and the Jaguars game last week on tape, what he saw. And then we have our best bet gauntlet, which has been going really well and is my favorite segment of the week. If you like to bet at all, you got to follow us because JT and I are both making you money right now. So without further ado, let's get to the news with producer JT. Getting into the news segment for today, let's talk about the injury report for Thursday. And let's start off with the DNPs did not practice yesterday. We had linebackers Zach Cunningham and Joe Jones both not practice. Zach Cunningham with an elbow injury and Joe Jones with a knee injury, as well as fullback Tory Carter had a neck injury. And while he practiced in a limited fashion on Wednesday, was downgraded to a did not practice on Thursday. How concerning, Easton, is it for you to see Zach Cunningham and Joe Jones log DNPs? Well, the injury situation for the Titans overall has improved dramatically over the bye, which is what they were hoping to do. It served them well. They needed it very badly, despite it being early in the season. 
the injury situation right now for the Titans, this is the shortest, I think, that it will be all year long. This injury report with just six names on there. It's not great that Zach Cunningham continues to be injured. He started out the year really, really shaky after being traded for by the Titans last year, having a good year, coming in, being a guy that was a, a definite starter on a dominant defense. This year to start, he's really, really shaky, especially in the run game, um, which is supposed to be his strong suit. He then went injured, uh, went on the injury report, that is, with his elbow injury, and he hasn't practiced for a couple of weeks now. It's concerning to me that they haven't just put him on IR at this point. Um, clearly, they think that he's not that far off, but it's strange that it's lasted this long. Joe Jones, you don't want him playing anyways. Torrey Carter being downgraded isn't great, and that's really the only starter, it looks like, that I'm expecting to not play that isn't already on IR, that is, this week. And then uh, the, the next couple of guys... Nate Davis uh, with a foot injury is interesting. He's been limited all week uh, through. And we, of course, you're listening to this on a Friday, so you may have more information now than we did at the time of recording on Thursday night. Nate Davis has to play for this team. It, it, it looks like he's going to. I wouldn't be surprised um, if this is just because if you remember, he he was out uh, before the Washington game with a knee injury, not a foot injury. He's now listed with a foot injury, which if my memory serves me is what he was listed as having, uh, in the week or two before the week where he went down with a knee and then was questionable going into the Washington game and then ultimately didn't play. So it looks like maybe the acute injury that was that knee that he tweaked, uh, two weeks ago before the Washington game is better now. And maybe he's just back to that nagging foot injury because he's limited. Um, in both of his practices so far this week, I, I'm not concerned about him playing. If it was really a concern, um, and they obviously they know they need him in this game, they wouldn't be practicing him, trying to get him healthy. So the fact that he's practicing at all, despite it being limited, is promising. I'd be shocked if he doesn't go. And then these last two guys, there's they're not really injuries to report, besides the fact that they're coming back from their hip and concussion uh, injuries, and that's Nate Davis and Imani Hooker, who... We've been talking about this for how long on this show? This team, this defense needs those guys back there without a shadow of a doubt. It's massive that those guys are looking fully ready to be back, back to as close to 100% as you can be in the middle of an NFL season. So that's a big deal for the Titans who are pretty healthy right now. Yeah, definitely good news on the Titans side. As for the Indianapolis Colts, definitely a bigger injury report for them. But a lot of just maintenance, it looks like, and a lot of players return to practice today. However, there's a couple to note. One is defensive end Quiddy Pay, who has, practiced, has not practiced twice now this week with an ankle injury. Wide receiver Kiki Kuti, also dealing with a concussion, was upgraded from a DMP on Wednesday to a limited participation on Thursday. And Justin Blackman, Jonathan Taylor, and... Shaq Leonard, who were all limited participations on Wednesday, were upgraded to full participations on Thursday. Yeah, so those last three guys, like you said, sounds like maintenance for them. With Jonathan Taylor, this will be his first game back in a couple of weeks now. Big deal for the Colts for them to have him back. But part of me wonders, and if you listen to the Mike Herndon show today, and you're a Broadway insider, you know that we talked about this a little bit, or yesterday, that is. Um, I'm not sure that Jonathan Taylor being back for the Colts isn't good news for the Titans. We saw Matt Ryan without any running game last week. Their their top two running backs were out, and their, their third string started the game and then was injured as well. He passed the ball 42 times on nearly 60 dropbacks. 
that's a recipe that quick game that ended up winning them the game against Jacksonville last week is precisely the kind of thing the Titans struggle against. It essentially takes the pass rush and the defensive front out of the game entirely and makes the secondary defeat you on offense. And, and that's not what this secondary for the Titans needs to be uh, doing right now. That's not the situation they need to be in for success. This defensive front is the strength of the Titans defense, and it has to be an element of the game. Their run defense is the best part of either side of the ball for this team. It's the best thing that this team does currently is defend the run. Jonathan Taylor, while healthy in their first matchup, was bottled up entirely by this Titans pass or rush defense. Rather, that's something that I think they're going to want to see again. They're going to want to see the Colts. If they have him back and healthy, they're going to feel obligated to use him and try to get back to that ground and pound style that they like like to play football um that way and, and that's a good thing for the titans i think now jonathan taylor dangerous elite athlete he can always make you pay so it's not great news for them but i think it may be better than the alternative yeah moving on to the actual game on sunday between the colts and the titans just a couple of stats real quick it is the only game in this week seven slate between two teams with a winning record and as a result it's getting the fifth <laughs> broadcast team for CBS this week. So that goes to show you how much the NFL really loves their AFC South match. It's impressive right? how little they care. Yeah, it's impressive. And and listen, only only matchup this week between two teams with a winning record. That means that it's the best game of the week. Obviously, that's just science and math. Like you can't facts and logic people. Clearly, this is the best matchup between the two best teams. Um, but really, it's it's a reality that we're in right now with the NFL. I think the, the reason this is the case is because Parity has reigned supreme this year. There is not a single team in the league through six weeks that hasn't won a game. Everybody has at least one win. And there's only one team so far that hasn't lost yet. The Eagles are 6-0. Everybody else has at least one loss. In terms of teams that are hovering at or right around three, uh, 500, teams that are 3-3 three and three or 4-2 four and two or 2-4, two and four, a game or two below or above 500, it's 75% of the league. 24 of the 32 teams find themselves in that position there just is not a whole lot in the way of great dominant teams and horrible teams. Everybody is is got a little bit of something to them, it seems. And there's a lot of teams that are supposed to be really good, still just kind of trying to find themselves right now. And so it's lent itself to everybody being middle of the pack so far. I think it makes for more interesting football. I'm glad. I'm a big fan of the parody in the NFL, a massive fan. I know some people hate it. It makes betting harder, which we'll get to later in the show, but um, it makes it fun from a consumer standpoint. No, I agree entirely. And looking at some more Titans-specific things uh, so far throughout the year that will be pretty important in this matchup, let's talk about the Titans in the red zone. The Titans lead the league in red zone efficiency, having 12 touchdowns in 13 possessions. That's good for 92.3% this year. 92%. It's pretty crazy. Um, but that definitely has to continue this week against a Colts team that seemingly has found all their wins coming from behind late. And as we know, the Titans love to let these teams come from behind. So it's going to be very important that they keep this red zone efficiency up. Two thoughts on this. Good news and bad news. The good news with this statistic, 92% is an insane conversion rate when you get into the red zone. Absolutely insane. The next closest in the league is something like 75, 70%. It's been a while since I looked at it, but it's a massive gap. 
the Titans have been killing it in the red zone. And it's not all that surprising to me. It shouldn't be that all, all that surprising to you. If you've listened to this show, you know that since before the season began, we were talking about how when I was at camp, it was all they were doing, running the red zone drills running the red zone seven on seven, the red zone 11 on 11. They have been pounding the red zone efficiency. And, and so they've reaped the benefits of that in these games. And it's meant when they get to the red zone, they are scoring seven points. They are not having to rely on kicking long field goals or coming up short or going for it on fourth down. They are getting a touchdown, which is great news. Um, the, the bad news is that they're struggling to get into the red zone. And the reality is at, nine, at a 92% clip, there is negative regression coming. It's just the reality of things. You can't keep up that high a percentage. It's not possible throughout the rest of the season. So it means they have to continue to do what they're doing in the red zone and being as efficient as they are, but they have to get better moving the ball and, and just every element of the offense outside of those red zone trips because there will come a time, and it could be very soon, that that conversion rate, the natural regression goes goes the conversion rate goes down that natural regression starts to kick in and this team finds themselves not capitalizing nearly as much in the red zone as they currently are they're going to have to find ways to get there more often to get themselves more chances to get points on the board no i agree entirely and one way that they're getting into the red zone already is through derrick henry and hilliard but through the air right now yeah. derrick henry and dontrell hilliard lead the nfl in yards run per route Hilliard with a league best 3.14 yards per route and Henry right behind him at a 2.28 yards per route. Yeah, it's insane. This was a statistic, I think, brought to my attention by our friend, friend of the show, James Foster, who's going to be on here in, a, in just a moment with us. He went through and found the yards per route run um, in the passing game for each running back in the NFL, probably brought to us by True Media is my guess where he found this. And uh Henry and Hilliard. Hilliard is outright the number one by uh, uh, number one running back yards per route run in the passing game in the entire league by a significant margin. And then Derrick Henry's in the top five as well. Both of those guys eating in the passing game so far. Kind of a good news, bad news thing there as well because the good news is the Titans have a significant passing game in two very different forms with Henry and Hilliard in the you know the dump off the short pass the screen pass game with these running backs. The bad news is part of the reason they've been so successful is because the running backs have been some of the only success the Titans have had in the passing game. The receiving talent outside of those running backs has been lackluster, has not shown up, and has to do a better job of, of getting open, and the, the Titans passing game has to improve both in the receivers running better routes, doing a better job getting separation, and in the pass protection holding up long enough to give Ryan Tannehill a chance to find these guys downfield. Speaking of Ryan Tannehill, he's going to make his 49th straight regular season start this weekend against the Colts, and that's Wild. good to pass Steve McNair on the Titans' all-time consecutive game started list. All I have to say about this is there's a lot of things you can say about Ryan Tannehill, and some of them are fair, some of them are not. Ryan Tannehill, since coming to the Titans in his time in Nashville, he has been nothing but available. And what is the greatest ability? It's availability. So that's part of the reason that this franchise values him as much as they do. He has taken, you know, and it's not because he's been 
you know, put on a silver platter by his by his supporting cast all his time here. He's had some good protection in a couple of his years, but last year he got murdered all year long. Was one of the most hit quarterbacks in the entire league, and he just kept getting up and shaking it off and dealing with his injuries, but finding a way to play each and every Sunday. That's massive for this team, especially with their backup quarterback situation up until just recently with adding Malik Willis. They need him out there. They're not a team that can survive without him out there at quarterback. So it's been a big deal and congrats to him for having such a a long run. Um, It reminds me of like the Eli Manning days where he didn't miss a single game for years and years and years. Ryan Tannehill, even in his uh, later years, his older age now, continues to be able to play each and every week. Moving over, let's talk about Kyle Phillips, someone we haven't really talked about in a little bit. Um, It came out today that their special teams coach said that Kyle Phillips could return to punt duties very soon. He's probably the best guy to do it, despite his troubles so far in the early season. But he's really probably the best option. Are there any other options you think you would take over him? No, absolutely not. I said this on Twitter earlier today when Coach Ackerman, uh, the special teams coordinator for the Titans, came out and said that they're probably going to give him some more opportunities now. What that tells me is that he's finally healthy again from that shoulder injury that had been nagging him since the end of the first game. There is nobody on this team even remotely close to as talented in the return game of any kind, just any returner more talented than Kyle Phillips is. He made that eminently clear in the preseason and in his first game with the team when he did some really fantastic things. Some of the only explosive return game uh, play we've seen from the Titans in years and years and years since like Mark Mariani. It's been a long, long time. They have to utilize him. His glaring weakness here is his ball security. And not even once he has the ball, you know, threatening to fumble it on the return, but just securing the ball initially, catching the ball, getting it secured, and then beginning to run. He's had issues with that. A couple of fumbles that have cost the team Um, And he has to stop that. But the reason why I'm so bullish on him to return to this role is ball security in catching a return. That that is something that can be worked on. That is something that I'm sure he has been working on. That's a very fixable issue. So for the the past month, I'm sure they've been working on that. I'm sure they've been working to correct that with him. And that's part of the reason why they have faith in him now to give him those responsibilities back. They absolutely should because he's the best they've got and he can provide some explosives on special teams the Titans are lacking otherwise. One last thing before we get out of this news segment here. Something that might give you a little bit of hope if you're sweating this big divisional matchup this weekend. The Titans currently have the second longest consecutive win streak coming off of their bye with six. They're right behind the Buffalo Bills who have seven, but they're pretty impressive right off the bye. Yeah, absolutely. Mike Vrabel is fantastic off the bye. Six straight wins off the bye. They're also fantastic off of extended rest of any kind. I'd have to go find the statistic, but I saw this week that the Titans are like eight or nine and O when coming off of either a bye or a mini bye coming off of a Thursday night game. They continue to not just beat teams coming off of extended rest, but beat them soundly. Um, I I think that they are outscoring teams um, by like an average of 15 or 20 points in those kinds of games. So Mike Vrabel has done a really good job with this team in his time here in Tennessee, not just beating teams, beating them soundly after the bye. He's also done a good job in every year except for the COVID year, which doesn't really count kind of fluky in this way. He's had a better win percentage post-buy 
than he had before the bye. The only exception, of course, the 2020 year, they started out 3-0. and They had a COVID outbreak. Their bye was moved up to week four. That's not when you really have a bye. And then they ended up not, of course, going 100 and winning the rest of their games. So, so that one's a little bit skewed. But every normal year they've had, he has a better win percentage with the Titans post-bye than pre-bye. That's a sign of a really good coach. Yeah, that's all right, all JT. That's it. All right, that is it for the news. JT with the news. Let's now transition into our interview with James Foster of No Flags Film over at A to Z Sports. He is here once again with us after a week off last week on a little vacation. He's here with us to talk a little bit about the Titans. Here is our interview with him. All right, it is another Friday. That means it's another James Foster Friday. Back from his week off last week, James is back joining us from A to Z Film Room. James, how are you doing, man? How was your week? It was great. I'm ready for another Colts game. Uh, <laughs> we get him out of the way, way, though, before Halloween, twice in two years. It's kind of nice to not have to worry about the Colts after uh, after October. I guess so. I, you know, worry, worry is one uh, way to put it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're talking about the Colts today. And obviously, there's not a whole lot of tape specific stuff to talk about in terms of the Titans, because they were on by last week. The Colts, however, had a really interesting game in week six while the Titans were on by hosting the Jaguars, the second of their two meetings this year. And they ended up pulling out a win very different game than their first meeting when Jacksonville just boat raced them and shut them out down in Florida. Did you watch this game? And assuming that you did, what were your thoughts on the Colts and their offense in particular in that matchup? Well, I'm a true sicko. Uh, so the answer to, did you watch the game is yes for every single game, every game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, my biggest takeaway watching the Colts this season, like from a positive standpoint is alec pierce is a dude like um i was definitely too low on him um as a prospect i mean it it, that's kind of one of those things where it's like you see him just do one thing in college which is jump balls down the sideline and it's like all right well it's kind of a coin flip as to whether or not that's going to translate into the nfl so i guess you know late second round grade i guess and then what do you know it does translate um he's kind of (laughs) like yeah uh really playing like a, a DK Metcalf light sort of um, just in terms of, you know, the route tree that they run. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that obviously quarterback, you know, Matt Ryan played pretty well in week six, but quarterback is still uh, an inconsistent position for them. Offensive line has a ton of question marks, but they do finally seem to have some good young weapons developing uh, when you talk about Jelani Woods also has been really impressive over the past few weeks. Yeah, their weapons certainly came alive a little bit last week, and I think you are seeing that group round into form a little bit. They've got some options for the first time in the passing game in what feels like a while. I want to talk about the quarterback situation, the running game, and the offensive line. Matt Ryan, 59 pass attempts last week, 42 completions, kind of a Mickey Mouse number. A lot of that was just finding ways to get the ball to guys immediately upon the snap and essentially do a run play, but it's a pass. Like it, it was a lot of quick game, uh, dump off screen game, all of that stuff, um, which ultimately ended up working for them. And and I think a big reason, a big part of the reason they were doing that was just because of they were, they were missing their first and second and eventually third string running back in that game. They really didn't have any option. Um, 
but to but to try to pass the ball and and they did it well enough the offensive line it's seemingly the first pairing or organization of the, those linemen that they are, are liking um it, it was better from from what i hear it looked better it didn't look good but it looked like they finally found some positive momentum along that line and they were able to get matt ryan enough protection for him to pass quite a bit what are your thoughts on that offensive line situation they now have did they did they really figure something out do you think they've they've clicked a little bit here with their offensive identity or was it just that they were playing the jaguars yeah i mean the jaguars have a a solid pass rush josh allen's been having a great season uh right josh allen the jaguars version um trayvon walker still not a huge threat just like winning consistently but uh you get him on stunts he can be really effective um in that in that part of his game i think you know it's it's hard to say at this point because of the injuries that they've had and um you know bernard raymond i thought are the games running together bernard raymond played week six right i watched a couple colts games whichever game he He, was playing he played week um, five against denver and then week six they replaced him with dennis kelly right okay um Dennis Kelly, you know, might be one of the most overrated players like among Titans fans. I <laughs> like, and I'm not saying that to be a hater because, like, yeah, uh, you know, he seems like a good guy. But um, the last time we saw him play a full season of offensive tackle was 2020, and he was objectively like he the definition of just a replacement level starter. You know, he would yep. give up three pressures per, um, every game offense in general did a good job scheming uh scheming around their tackle injuries and you didn't really notice him but overall like the play was you know he's not that great of an offensive tackle so um yeah this idea that that teams just have capable uh right tackles and left tackles just you know rotting away on on their depth chart like that's just not the reality um and so yeah to me when when there's a guy like Dennis Kelly where it's like, man, why isn't he playing it? You know, usually my mind goes to like, yeah, there's probably a reason he's probably, probably bad. Not that good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that obviously just based on the personnel that they have up front, they've been underperforming. And so I would probably expect, you know, some uh, regression uh, in the positive direction, but yeah, I mean, there's, with Matt Ryan, like he's just kind of a statue in the pocket, you know, at this point in his career, um, the, you know, what you said about getting the ball out quickly, I just looked, he's uh, in week six, according to PFF, he had the fifth shortest time to throw average time to throw 2.37 seconds. Um, So yeah, that, that matches up the numbers match up with what you said. Um, You know, overall, I think that the Colts um, passing offense is kind of, uninspiring from a a play design standpoint but like i mentioned they're they're getting to the point where like their personnel can just kind of win those one-on-one matchups a lot more consistently than we were seeing in previous years um and so as as much fun as i've had you know watching the colts struggle this year i like i do actually think that they when it's when it's all said and done regardless of what their record is will view them as kind of like a, a nine and eight caliber of team uh, mm-hmm. by the end of the season. Um, 
and so I, you know, I think you talk about the schedule. It's uh, it's lucky for the Titans that they're getting the Colts early when um, when they're yeah. really struggling. Yeah, let's turn our attention to the Titans a little bit. Um, biggest returning, uh, biggest in in the who's back of the week is is Bud Dupree. We've talked consistently on the show about just how important it is for them to have him out there. His return to this defense is going to allow them to do what? Um, I don't think that his return necessarily allows them to do anything differently, um, you know, from a schematic standpoint, but he is a lot more effective uh, running stunts and, you know, getting kind of cleaning up other people's pressure, you know, that's essentially like what he's done his entire career. That's why he'll have, you know, these games where it's like five pressures, two sacks, 57 PFF pass rushing grade. It's because like, the the reps of him just cross chop like quick win are rare on his take like that's just not what he does it's it's um a lot about like re- wreaking havoc and there is technique and talent that goes into that but um yeah i mean it, to me you're you're sort of strengthening a strength like you're adding bud dupree um and he he just meshes perfectly with what rashad weaver does with what Danico Autry does, and then what what you have in Jeffrey Simmons, as who's emerging as the number one consistent pass rusher, and then y- you can surround when you have that number one guy, you can surround him with uh, number two and number three guys, and it, it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore whether or not Bud Dupree was like an overpay or whether or not he's a true number one pass rusher. The Titans already have that, and so you just need as many number twos that you can rotate in there and just you know. Um, I was impressed with him when he was healthy. And so I think he'll come in, um, and, you know, make some nice plays, assuming that he's at full strength. Speaking of emerging, um, we saw Chigakonkwo in the past couple of games have his biggest impact on this team, um, that he's had so far, and they've been getting him involved more and more on the offensive side of the ball. Somebody who this team acquired in the off season that has, been pretty underwhelming to me is Austin Hooper. I was expecting more from him than what we've gotten. And um, seeing Hooper and Aconquo both in the same role of guy you want to pass the ball to, guy you don't want to have to block for you, um, I'm starting to wonder whether or not this team should consider giving more of those um, reps to Chigakonkwo just because I think the upside with him is higher and a guy like Cooper, I don't expect to be around for very long. If he's not contributing in that way, why not see what Aconquo is capable of? What are your thoughts on him getting more involved in the offense? I would have to go back and look at the chart. Um, they're, they've been posting those cool charts on Twitter uh, this season with like the personnel groupings, the NFL's oh, like yeah, publicly, yeah, yeah. Re- publicly releasing the player participation, like snap data. And so you can see who's on the field. So I'll need to go check on that. Um, but just like off the top of my head, I, when I picture, like, I don't really see Austin Hooper taking reps away from Chiga Conquo. Okay. Um, to, like to me, just, just, it's, you know, it's dangerous to like make conclusions um, just like based off of snap opinions from film, but it really seems like Austin Hooper's in there a lot more when they 
pretty much only when they run three tight end sets. Um, but yeah, I agree. Austin Hooper has been a massive disappointment. Uh, it's not like he's been targeted a bunch to really, uh, you know, ha- have that level of impact, but it's not like he's the type of player that you just need to force feed targets. Um, they haven't, as far as blocking, he hasn't really been, he hasn't really been in a ton of great situations to evaluate him. You know, he's like the third tight end on the backside of, you know, right. But I, I kind of think that's an indictment like a, in and of itself, right? right? I mean, no, the yeah. fact that they don't want him in there. The fact that they don't, um, for, you know, from my film study of him, I thought that he could be a true Y tight end that they could trust to be that uh, inline blocker and sort of relegate Jeff Swaim to a more appropriate role, to put it nicely. Of um, not playing football? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> hey, Jeff Swaim had, like, I almost had a Jeff Swaim as good take, but then he played awful. Um, but now he was laying some people out, like, week three, week four in the run game. So nice. Well, there's no nice doubt little... he's a good blocker. I mean, like, right now, he's his contract has been a better value for the team than Austin Hooper's has. That That is true. That is true. Yeah, no, I mean, Jeff Swaim is what he is but uh i i definitely agree i mean i think that it's it's hard to i don't necessarily blame them for not wanting to just throw a rookie tight end like into the water immediately because the the historical track record of rookie tight ends producing for whatever reason just like doesn't doesn't happen um and so i really i predicted it when they drafted him i said that his rookie year would look a lot like johnny smith's rookie year where it's he's not going to be like the tight end one but he's going to have a few splash plays um you know throughout weeks and that's kind of um what's happened i'm definitely you know that would be great if he developed this season into having that true tight end one role um you know and as far as like passing game targets there's just Titans don't throw the ball enough to really have anyone be a tight end one wide receiver one, whatever, you know? So that's just not going to happen. Last question before we get you out of here. And it revolves around our guy, double D Dennis Daly holding down to put it lightly, the left tackle position Mm. so far. Well, I say so far since the loss of Taylor one in week two. So for the past uh, three or four games, he has been miserable and only gotten worse as we've gone. Um, we've talked a lot about this, uh, in multiple different formats, but I I feel like we've reached the point where they have to try something, anything other than him. Um, I mean, Laura, even Clark is on the roster. You, you have, you have Dylan Radins at your disposal to try Are either of these options promising, not even remotely, but could they be worse than Dennis Daly right now? What I mean, Daly is 70th out of 72 tackles on PFF. He's just brutal. Um, and, and, and he's blowing up plays single-handedly that otherwise are working for this team that can't really afford on offense to have plays get ruined by one person like that. They don't have enough plays that work right now, frankly, for that to be the case. What's your opinion on what they should do at left tackle? Yeah, Dennis Daly, the trade for Dennis Daly just remains one of the most puzzling moves that John Robinson has ever made. I mean, a fifth round pick, fifth. Um, you know, it's not like you're getting all pros every year, but that, you know, those can be like real valuable players. And I just remember, you know, 4 p.m. or whatever, whenever that trade hit on Twitter, I'm like, oh, okay, let's check out this Dennis Daly, dude. I've you know never heard of him before. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, watch like, 
four games, probably gave up, I don't know, six sacks and like 16 pressure, like not even exaggerating, like yeah. he was cheeks. And it's like four <laughs> games. It's like, okay, yeah. maybe he's, all right, he's probably got like a hamstring. Let, let me, let me jump like later in the season. And it was like, no, it just never got better. The same, and yeah. uh, I ended up, I mean, normally if I'm just, if it's like a free agent signing or a trade or something like that, and I need to do a video, I'm watching like three or four games and doing that. But with Dennis Daly, it got to this point where I'm like, I have to find like, where is the, where is the film that John? What did they see? Like, right. I remember having the same thought with Des Fitzpatrick where it's a, that's a legitimate thing that we talked about back in draft season where it's like, sometimes you just don't see the good games. Like, Sometimes maybe I might I might watch a couple good games of a prospect and that'll um, that'll affect my opinion of them and then you know you don't watch those games and whatever. Right. But it's like, yeah, I, I really tried to do that and uh, give him give John Robinson you know the benefit of the doubt. But I I don't know what the deal uh, that was just like a waste of uh, draft value there. And then you know now you're at the point mid season you're not fixing offensive tackle problems. So you know I. I never really have much interest in the like week eight. How do we find a new left tackle? Cause you don't, it's just like, it kind of just uh, really. You mean going to trade for one, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean do, do you think they should like, continue to try to use him and not use other internal options? Um, You know, I mean, LaRaven Clark, maybe Dylan Radins. I'm kind of, I'm sort of past the point where it's like, I want to see him because I think there's a lot of potential there, you know, because it's just, um, it just hasn't been good when he's been on the field. And, um, you know, I was a big fan of him coming out, but he, that's just another example of how scouting uh, FCS players can be really difficult because I actually went back and watched some Dylan Raiden's film like a few months ago um, from college. I think I went back to my old video, just like watching the, the, players that he was blocking at North Dakota state. I mean, you know, they're working at TJ Maxx right now, or they're <laughs> making YouTube videos, analyzing uh, NFL. Like right. that's what they're doing. All right. Well, we've kept you long enough, James. Thank you once again for being gracious enough with your time guys. Go check them out at a to Z sports.com a to Z film room on YouTube and uh, no flags film on Twitter. James, tell the people what you're working on uh, recently. What should they go see? Yeah, so I uh, just did a breakdown of the Tennessee-Bama game, which is one of the most exciting games that I've ever watched. That's electric, um, yeah. Yeah, and then um, getting into I'm trying to do one draft video a week. Uh, so I'm working wow, on Wow, already? Uh, I'll, I'll spoil it because it'll already be out uh, by tomorrow, but Jordan Addison is the only player, one of the only players I've been keeping track of uh, in the draft that has not disappointed me. This class is, I mean a lot of duds, you know, a lot of players injured Jalen Carter, Brian Brisey injured, uh, Kayshawn booty is playing like booty. Um, um, Quentin <laughs> Johnson didn't get targeted until like at all until this past week. So been a very disappointing, uh, 2023 draft class. Uh, and so, yeah, going to focus on the positive and, uh, break down some Jordan Addison film. Awesome. Guys, go check that out. James, we will talk to you with some fresh fresh film to evaluate next week. Yes, sir. Have a good one.
All right, you know what time it is. It is time for my favorite segment of the entire week here on the Hot Read Podcast. It's the Best Bet Gauntlet. Me and producer JT have been going head-to-head each and every week so far this season, picking our five favorite bets against the spread in the NFL each week. Not just picking them, but drafting them in a snake order. So we have to pick different teams. And uh, we've got our five this week. Just to recap, I still am on top, but barely. JT continues to roar back here um, after his abysmal start of like two and eight, I think, for the first two weeks. He is now up to 14, 15, and one after a four and one week last week. Massive week, almost back to 500. Um, he's going to be there shortly, it looks like. And then I am still making you money at 15, 13, and two. Another rough week last week. The witching hour just bent me over, man. I was like, I think either four and zero or three and one at the start of the fourth quarter in the early windows last week, and then finished the early window one and three. Brutal, 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 brutal. But we're gonna bounce back this week. I love the board. Looking at it up and down right now, uh, as compared to last week, we both could not stand it. Thought it was gross and didn't want to bet it. I love some of these bets, and I get our first bet. So, JT, are you ready to get into the gauntlet? I am. And if you're watching the video podcast, you're gonna know something is different. We have the board right here. We have the board you. up. So you can, yes, you can watch along with us here as we make our picks. I'll just say that. Real quick, I'm coming for you, Easton. Last week was a very good week for me. It was. You went, a very good you week went for like, you. you know, starting the first quarter or fourth quarter. Sorry, you were like, what? You said like three and one or something. I was like, oh and three or something. So yeah, that it, it was hour a massive swing. Was yeah, great for me. Um, come out on top there, and you get first pick this week. I do. All right, so let's get into the best bet gauntlet. For my first pick in the best bet gauntlet, I'm going to take in this. I've got some weird picks this week, but I've got reasons for them. Give me Denver minus one hosting, I believe, the New York Jets. This is much less of a bet on Denver and much more of a bet on the Jets. Listen, the Jets last week beat a Green Bay team that is, we know, not all that good at this point. Um, They beat them with a couple of touchdowns on massive broken runs, which Green Bay's defense inexplicably terrible, especially against the run. Denver's defense, I don't know if you've heard, probably the best defensive group in the entire league. They have a phenomenal run defense as well as fantastic corners that are shutting everything down. And against this Jets team, Zach Wilson has been sneaky awkward a little bit bad since his return from injury threw for only 109 yards i believe last week on like 10 completions they're gonna have to do more in the passing game this week against the broncos because that run game as good as Brees hall has looked is not going to be there in the same way as it was in green bay the green bay game in particular by the way they got a touchdown off of a special teams failure by the Packers in that game as well. So some fluky scoring in that 24 to 10 win. I see Denver's defense as being the polar opposite. And this Jets team, when you go and you look at their wins, they've not beaten anybody very good. This Broncos offense, definitely not good. Russ, a disaster. Okay. But they put up 16 points against the the Chargers this past week. They're able to score some. And I just think this Denver's this Denver defense is going to be too much for a young Jets offense. So give me Denver to win in a game that I think a lot of people might be surprised is as close as it will be. Yeah, for my first pick here, I'm just going to go 
with the homer pick on this podcast here and take Tennessee minus two and a half for a couple of reasons. All of them that we kind of went down in the news section here. You know, the Titans are really good after the bye here. And I think they know how big this game is. It's a pivotal game in the division here. And they kind of beat up on them at Indy. They're coming home now, playing them at home. Give me the Titans to win by more than two and a half. Basically a field goal. Yep, I like that pick a lot. With my second pick in the best bet gauntlet draft, I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks plus five. Listen, love a big dog. Obviously, I'm a big fan of dogs, and I've got some more dogs coming up here. But how can I pass up an opportunity to bet on the best quarterback in the league? Baby Geno Smith continues to cook up there. Him and Pete Carroll doing impressive things. And against this Chargers team that we saw on Monday night be very very suspect i think that they're a very mediocre team with a downright bad coach and an offensive scheme that is criminally underutilizing their star quarterback i see seattle keeping this game close i don't think it'll be a super high scoring affair and so give me seattle to win outright or at least lose by less than five points with my second pick speaking of quarterbacks who have surprisingly been very good this year when we didn't think they were going to be. I'm going to take Atlanta at plus six and a half here. Listen, they've covered the spread six weeks in a row so far. Only team. Only team. And you know what? I'm going to continue to pick them until it doesn't. And I think this is another week where it's not going to happen. Look, we've seen Cincinnati struggle to get out of the gate here. And I think we're going to find ourselves in a game here where Atlanta might get a couple of turnovers, get a couple of punts, and start out strong like a lot of teams have against the Bengals. Now, I don't see Atlanta exactly winning this game, Atlanta's, but Atlanta's done really good at Cincinnati in the past couple of years, and I think the trend is going to continue here where the Bengals are going to have to claw their way back and probably win this game, but not do enough for Atlanta to lose by more than six and a half. Yep, I agree. It's Listen, it's just a blind bet at this point. Continue to ride Arthur Smith and the Falcons until they fail us, which they have not done once this year. This feels like it's got backdoor cover maybe written all over it. Um, The Falcons are great at that. With my third pick, I'm going to take the Washington Commies, plus four and a half. They are playing Green Bay this week. Here's the reasoning. Washington is a dumpster fire at this point. And while Carson Wentz, I think, has gotten some undue criticism for his involvement with this team, especially from his head coach, of all people, throwing him under the bus, Taylor Heineke taken over. We've seen what Heineke's able to do. He's a scrappy guy. He's not as talented as Carson Wentz, but he's a guy that this team rallies around and has had some success with before. This Green Bay team is entirely uninspiring is the nicest way I can put it. They're they're just downright gross to watch right now the defense somehow despite all the money they've spent and all the draft capital they've invested is still just really putrid and the offense Aaron Rodgers is just not on the same page as these receivers these young receivers it's it's Rodgers and Alan Lazard and Big Bob Tunyon and and that's kind of it in terms of their offensive firepower they look night and day compared to the Packers of the past couple years with Devontae Adams I like this game to be closer than people think. I like Washington to maybe get a little bit of a boost going from uh, going from Wentz to Heineke. It's going to be Washington in kind of a, another gross play, plus four and a half. I hear everything you're saying here. Okay, tell that. me why I'm wrong. However, 
I'm going to go with the other side of the ball here and go Green Bay minus four and a half. Because I head just to head. Think, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to lose three in a row. I, I really three th- in a row for him. Yeah, he lost to the Giants in London, then the Jets. Oh, you're right. And now he's facing a Washington Commanders team who also has yeah, so not Aaron Rodgers owns Chicago, but New York owns Aaron Rodgers. New York I hadn't put that loves together. to own Aaron Rodgers. And we'll see if that's true later this season when they play Buffalo. I think that's next week. Anyways, I digress. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to come out here and lose three in a row. I know he doesn't exactly agree with his head coaching staff. They're really not on the same page. But if you're going to tell me that Aaron Rodgers is not going to go out there and look like he's a man on fire with his head cut off here, just slinging the ball everywhere, I'm going to take them to win by a touchdown. Okay. All right. So that's our first head-to-head. We've got a couple more here. So I'm going to take San Fran plus two and a half. This is a very sharp play. JT's on the very public side here. Listen, KC coming off of a loss, hard to bet against them. Very hard, especially against a team that just lost to the Falcons last week. But here's the thing. Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the 49ers, as a home favorite has been abysmal in his career. But as a home dog, I believe I, I I saw this earlier today. I believe the number was 17 and seven as a home dog. He loves to win outright as a home dog. And coming off of a game like that where they got embarrassed last week against Atlanta, I just expect them to look better in a bounce back spot here. And I, I expect the Chiefs to maybe have a little bit of just a little bit of a hangover maybe from getting up for that Buffalo game, which was such a massive game for them. I think San Francisco might win outright and Kansas City might lose two in a row here. Genuinely, I do. Kansas City's also going to have a lot more personnel. They were missing eight guys, uh, eight key starters or rotational players on the defensive side of the ball, which is their strong suit this year in the Atlanta game. They're supposed to have a lot of those guys back for this game. So I like San Fran in kind of the ugly, gross, unpopular pick. Plus two and a half. JT, tell me why I'm wrong. Two words, Patrick Mahomes. I just, I think he's going to, same thing with Aaron Rodgers. I don't think Patrick loses two here. He knows that he needs, his team knows that they need to get back into this race to get that one seed after they take a tough loss against the Buffalo Bills last week. And I think they go into San Fran. And I'm just going to take the better quarterback here in Patrick Mahomes over Jimmy Garoppolo. That's fair. Let me ask you this. I I mean, part of my reason for taking this one is I'm hoping slash expecting for it to move to the three before the weekend. And of course, I don't know if anybody's been paying that good attention on the show, but whenever a better number is available by Sunday, this graphic is updated and we get the better number. Um, So we'll bet these now, but we'll also bet Mm -hmm. them if they move in a positive direction for us and we'll update that. I think this is going to move to the three. Do you still like KC as a three point favorite? Would you still bet them there? Probably not. <laughs> Probably okay. not. Yeah. Okay. My, I, I think that the better quarterback is Patrick Mahomes here. And if uh-huh. I can get it at two and a half here, I don't see them. Even if it is a close game, I think now you do have some merit there in saying that yeah. 49ers are going to bounce back here on the defensive side of the ball, getting all those starters back. However, I just don't think Kansas City drops two here. And at worst, I think they win by a field goal, which is why I like the line. Right. Okay. So that's that's why you you like the hook there at, at minus two and a half. This will probably 
the updated final board will probably be me rolling with San Fran plus three and you rolling with KC minus two and a half. So if you like JT's bet on this one and you're wanting to roll with him, you get in you on bet, it. I would bet it now. I'd be later, shocked yes. if this stays at two and a half uh, by the weekend. San, or Kansas City, rather, will be the popular bet and it'll move that line. Last pick, we're going to go for a three for this week. Three head-to-heads this week. And holy crap, this this competition over the season has tightened so much. Somebody's going to be in a, a serious lead here because we've got so many head-to-head battles. We can't both do well this week. Somebody has to do poorly. I'm rolling with Jacksonville, minus three, against the New York Giants, hosting the New York Giants. Here's my reasoning. They're at home. They're a better team at home, um, which, yeah, duh, most teams are. Yeah, I know. This team in particular has played in the last couple of years significantly better at home than on the road. They also uh, are in, in a position where they were kind of the darling of the league at two and one. Oh, this is the team that's going to go from worst to first in the AFC South. Oh, they're going to win the division. Oh, they're going to be a real threat. Oh, Trevor Lawrence. We've talked about all this. Trevor Lawrence has made the sophomore leap. Doug Peterson is, they finally got a competent coach in there. Yeah, all of that I think applies, but they've lost three games in a row in kind of embarrassing fashion and really fallen off their horse. Here, I think they get back on against a fraudulent New York Giants team. We talked about how fraudulent their win was. I believe on our Monday show, we talked about that against the Ravens last week, coming back inexplicably winning that game. They don't have a ton of talent outside of Saquon Barkley. They've got a couple talented guys on that defense. Really, they're being carried by Brian Dable, their new head head coach, who I already think is fantastic. But I think Jacksonville bounces back here and wins by a field goal or better. And I can't quite get the hook, but I'm happy to roll with Jacksonville minus three. JT, why do you like the G-men? Now, of course, I wasn't on the show Monday, had some prior commitments and whatnot. However, I see the argument for why the Giants are fraudulent. Yes, Daniel Jones has not looked like a guy who can carry that team to the record that they currently are at, and he shouldn't, because I don't think he's that good. However, I think the Giants not only cover, but win this game through their defense. Okay. I think their defense, I think you're not giving their defense as much credit as you should. Right now, Kayvon Thibodeau kind of looks to be up there with Sauce Gardner as maybe that defensive rookie of the year kind of candidate, okay. I believe. And I think their, their defense is just going to do enough to where Saquon gets going on that run game here. They get a couple of good drives in there. And I think the defense just stalls Trevor Lawrence as a bunch of defenses have in the last three weeks. It's really my reasoning. I think the defense wins this game for him. All right, so that's our best bet gauntlet for week seven. Just to recap, if you're not watching on video and you're listening via podcast, JT is rolling with Tennessee minus two and a half, Atlanta getting six and a half, Green Bay giving four and a half, Kansas City giving two and a half, and the Giants getting three. I am rolling with the Broncos minus one, the Seahawks plus five, Washington plus four and a half, San Fran getting two and a half, and Jacksonville giving three. That's our best bets this week. Three head-to-heads. It's triple the amount we've ever done on this show. Big week here. And if you guys, week. anybody out there, let us know who you're riding with this week. This is probably the biggest week where we're going to go head-to-head here. Yeah, so we, would love, we would love your feedback on social with. media or in the, the uh, reviews of this podcast. And that's a perfect transition for us to get out of here. Before we do, and I leave you to your weekend, I have to tell you, if you are not subscribed to the show, I don't know why you're listening to podcasts all a cart like this. Go to wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get the good podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever, um, and make sure that you are subscribed to the show so that you get all the new shows in your inbox. It's very easy and convenient. I promise you'll like it. 
And then if you're subscribed and you haven't left a five-star rating and a review, please go and do so. It takes you 10 seconds. I know shows ask you to do that all the time. You ignore them. I understand. You're probably tired of me begging, but we, we really appreciate it when you leave those reviews. It takes you 10 seconds. Say literally anything you want. Say nothing. Just leave five stars. But if you say something, we'll shout you out on the show, and, and we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Your feedback is a gift. Um, if you enjoy the show, please do us a favor by leaving a review. Thank you very much. It helps us sell the show. Speaking of sell the show, if you are a business owner in Nashville or the Middle Tennessee area and you're interested in advertising opportunities, we have got opportunities here for you at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Um, on the site, on our podcast network, on this show in particular, we have opportunities for you to advertise with us, become sponsors with us. Love to talk to you about it. Reach out to us if you're a business owner and have any interest in that. We've got thousands of downloads, tens of thousands of listeners, hundreds of thousands of social media hits available for you to get your product uh, out there and, and in the ears of Titans fans, sports fans alike. Um, people that, if you're listening to this show, are a lot like you. Sounds like your kind of audience. Hit us up. We'll talk about advertising opportunities. And then if you haven't checked out the Mike Herndon show from last night, or last afternoon, yesterday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, we uh, went through all of the bi-week topics, talked about the Titan Stadium, talked about his article earlier this week about whether the Titans are contenders or pretenders. It's a really great topic, um, and it's a really great show through and through. You have to be a Broadway insider to be able to get that, of course. If you're not a Broadway insider, go and become one today. Please go to the site. You can get uh, your first month or first year on sale using code INSIDER or code ANNUAL, uh, respectively. And that's going to do it for us today. Make sure to check out the Best of Broadway podcast episode on this feed or any of our other flagship podcast feeds out tomorrow. Enjoy the Titans game on Sunday at noon, hosting the Colts here in Nashville at Nissan Stadium. Massive game. We'll have all of our thoughts and reactions and break down to that on Monday morning. First thing, as always, until then, I think we're done here. For JT, I am Easton. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We will talk to you on Monday.